Welcome to Fathom. Three, two, one. Oh, oh you, shit. What happened? No, okay. Welcome to a button. Are we, oh, no, record, are we on, recording on, on one? So, three, <laughs> two, one. Welcome to Fathom. Welcome Man. to Fathom. Oh, hold on, no, you do. Wait, wait, wait. Let's just do one of us. One of us can say the welcome, okay? Yes. After record. Three, okay. two. On record? No, after record. Uh, on, okay. On, okay. One of us says welcome to the Above Board podcast after the word record. Three, to welcome one, to f- I don't, no, oh, I got, after, it was after the after the word record okay after the word record one of us is just says, okay just one of us three two one how about we just press record three two three. and now let's just cue the music All right. This is an interactive podcast-ish today. So Brian Lovin from Twitter said, I'd love to hear what you found to be effective so far with the early days of marketing efforts. Landing page redesigns, blog posts, the podcast, email campaigns, the affiliate program all seem interesting to analyze. Let's dive into that. Let's talk about all the things we've done so far to market Fathom Analytics, what's worked, what's not worked, and what's kind of fallen in between. That sounds great. Brian is a smart guy. Thank you for that, Brian. So when Brian signed up, he sent in a fair few decent pieces of feedback. And I absolutely love it when people do that. So it doesn't surprise me to to see a good question like this come in. Yeah. Let's get meta for a second and talk about the podcast. How many thousands of signups have we had since we started the podcast? Off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you, but um, the podcast is clearly moving the needle significantly because people like to know about the companies that they're paying. I mean, I do. You do more so than me. Yeah. Um, so hearing about how the companies run, hearing the people, because you don't just want to be giving your money to some scumbag. Yeah. Podcast is hard, right? Because not a lot of times are people sitting at a computer while they're listening to a show, I don't think. So it's hard to see how many people sign up specifically from a podcast. We have had a couple thousand downloads so far of the show. It's in the early days yet. We've only had a handful of episodes so far. And I think that there's different aspects of quote-unquote marketing, right? Like I think there is Marketing that directly leads to trials and conversions, which is one thing. But I also think that there's marketing that is just brand awareness. And I think at the beginning with a new company like Fathom, is it we've been around for a couple of years, still a new company. I think that a lot of times brand awareness is also super important. Yeah. And I think the podcast helps that. Being the first company that comes to people's heads when they think about analytics. Or when they think about analytics that aren't shitty and shady, we're the first company that comes to people's mind. And that's definitely, help. yeah. well, yeah, I mean, look at Twitter. When people ask about analytics, you always see someone just saying, give Fathom a try. So that's the brand awareness part. I think that's probably one of my favorite things. We're not even doing the bit where we're talking over each other, but we're still kind of doing <laughs> the bit where we're talking over each other unintentionally. But that is actually one of my favorite things about running Fathom is seeing when people are just asking Twitter, like, hey, I'm looking to get a new analytics platform. What should I try? We don't weigh in, you, me, or our Fathom Twitter account. We don't weigh in, but other people weigh in and say, oh, have you given Fathom a try? Have you checked out Fathom? And I'm like, this is awesome. Like, This is probably one of the coolest things ever that people are talking about us without us even prompting them to. 
They're just like, oh, I use Fathom. I like Fathom. I'm going to tell other people about Fathom. I've seen that as well. And, and I always think, oh, cool, someone's sharing their affiliate link. I go onto it and they're not even posting their affiliate link. They just want to share Fathom. Yeah. That we can lead that into affiliates is we now have an affiliate program, right? And we pay, what is it, like 25? I should know this and it's just totally blanking. And we pay 25% lifetime commissions, yeah? Which is crazy. I mean, that's such a great offer. 25% for life on anyone you refer. If they upgrade, you also get 25% of that. Brought to you by the Fathom Analytics affiliate program. (laughs) But so we are seeing people use their referral link to generate money for us and them through it, which I think is cool. Like we're seeing, we have had conversions through our affiliate program, so it is working at this point. Yeah, one person's already paid for their yearly subscription. One person has already offset their monthly subscription. It's incredible. And I think it's easy to promote this kind of product as well. It's like, oh, hey, why don't you stop sending your data to Google and use a privacy-focused alternative? Here we go. Yeah, and I think we didn't have an affiliate program for a while because it wasn't the, the most important thing to build, but it was important. And I think that we're still kind of in the early days. When did we launch the affiliate program? December? I do not remember. I remember the experience, but I do not remember the date. I remember it took us two hours to build the V1 of the affiliate program one evening when we were both around. But yeah, I don't remember the specific date. And we did launch the affiliate program. It's worth mentioning that we launched it to our customers first. So only people paying for Fathom could be affiliates. And then we opened it up to anybody. So even if you're not a customer of Fathom, you can still be an affiliate partner of Fathom. And that, I think, was offset by at least a few weeks, possibly a month. So I think we're going to have to wait to see how effective affiliates are for at least a little while because it's still fairly new. Yeah, and it's, it's great for us because obviously it brings in new customers. But you can make a lot of money off of affiliate programs. If you've got a genuine, solid product, people will use it. I mean, look at ConvertKit. I mean, they have a great affiliate program. I'm sure there are others out there that have great affiliate programs. Transistor. Transistor is a great example, yeah. Yeah. A solid product people will buy. That simple. Yeah. Let's talk about paid advertising and how much (laughs) we spent on Google in the early days. My goodness. You're going to do this to me, are you? Okay, so I wanted to try out paid (laughs) advertising. Paul is not really a fan of paid advertising. So we gave it a go. We probably spent four, five hundred, maybe a bit less, maybe. And it, not on Google, though, obviously. No, obviously not on Google. <laughs> we tried with Bing, and then that would appear in DuckDuckGo. Explain this, though, further. Why did we choose Bing to do paid advertising? Yeah, so we would not fund Google. I don't think Microsoft are perfect, but Microsoft are, are definitely trying a lot harder than Google. But also, Bing ads aren't based on gross personal demographics. They're based oh, on... Oh, I see, yeah. We just targeted the keyword. So we wouldn't go into Facebook advertising and things like that and target people on all their personal information. Because that just doesn't, doesn't align with what we do. But we would happily target certain words that are being searched on Bing Search or DuckDuckGo because it doesn't feel as invasive. And it actually feels relevant because you're searching for it. Mm-hmm. So we gave that a go. I think it did help with awareness. We did get a lot of clicks. We played around with copy and we got clicks and we got traffic. Very hard to measure that because we don't obviously have a system to measure people all the way through because we need to use cookies. So we can't do that. Mm -hmm. I don't regret it, but um, I think this is something you should be exploring when you've explored all other options. When you've got your content marketing on point and everything else, you should then just add this perhaps as a top-up. Then you're catching extra people you wouldn't have perhaps reached. And then it's just there, but you should be doing that when you've got, I mean, realistically, probably 
I can't really prescribe this because it's case by case, but for me to be considering something like that, I guess six figures MRR, or maybe a little bit less, but to be spending a few hundred dollars on that. Did we, and I don't believe we did, but I'm not 100% sure, we didn't have a seven-day free trial when we were doing Bing ads, right? No, we didn't. So I think that could have possibly changed the effectiveness of the ads if we had, because people from ads are typically cold. They've never heard yes. of you before. And so them going from, oh, I've never heard of Fathom Analytics to, oh, let's sign up for a yearly account for $140 <laughs> seems less likely than somebody saying, oh, I've never heard of this company. Oh, but they have a seven-day free trial. I'm going to try it and see. So I think it could be more effective if we did it when we had trials. But I, I agree. I think that if we had a much higher MRR, then it might make more sense. Yeah. At the moment, there's so many other things that we can do, which um, we don't really want to be spending tons on marketing. Because I think our primary goal at the moment is to get us to the point where we can both be paid mm -hmm. effectively full time. That's the primary goal. If we needed to get some crazy, and that's just it, we don't need to get that crazy growth because we haven't got investors saying to us, we need more money. Give us more money. Yes. We can take our time and experiment with these things and see if they make sense. If we'd have had lots of people sign up from Bing, we'd still have it running. Yep. And, uh, who, who knows? We may experiment again. Now you've said that. You've just planted a lot of seeds in my head. Because you're right, we didn't have the trial. And there's no trust. You need to build trust before you sell to people, yeah. unless it's like a, a donut or something. Well, let's talk about free trials, though, because I think that that's part of our marketing efforts, for sure. And we didn't have free trials previously and for V1. And then in V2, we decided we want to have a trial period. And I think the reason for the trial, at least for us, is we know that if somebody tries Fathom, they're probably like they're very likely if they're the right type of customer going to like fathom enough to want to buy it so giving them seven days to give our software a try makes a ton of sense even though it could possibly increase support because it could be people on the free trial asking questions because most of the support happens in the first few days because once you have fathom set once you have most software set up you don't need to ask a lot of questions about it so that was kind of a worry for us in the beginning where are we going to increase our support by a lot and not increase our revenue because free trials need to go to day seven before they convert into revenue for us. I don't think that really happened. I mean, you do more of the support than, than I do. On the technical side, sure. Yeah, I do think that the free trials have 100% helped with us marketing Fathom because we are a new business. We are something new that a lot of people haven't heard of. We think people are going to trust us if they try us, right? <laughs> I could be just egotistical, but I'm pretty sure that that's the case. And even just looking at the low amount of churn we have from our trials, like it seems like if people give us a try, they're more than likely going to pay us after the seven days. That's kind of what yeah. the data is showing us. And so I think, that, I think that trials have been a really good way for a new startup like us to really showcase to people like, hey, look how awesome our software is. It looks nice. It works well. It's easy to use. Don't even give us any money. Just give us a try for a week and you're probably going to be sold. And luckily, that's been the case, right? The churn rate for trials is ridiculously low. I was going to tweet about this the other day, but I thought it was too much of a flex. But since you brought it up, sure. <laughs> 100%. Our conversion rate on trials is absolutely insane. I don't think I've seen anything like that before. Now, the big thing about trials is instead of us saying, you need to take all of the risk, you need to pay us, oh, and we don't do refunds, that's just not right. So the way we've gone with the trials is 
Here, here, have it for free. Seven days, we're going to email you multiple times to make sure you don't forget that we have your credit card information and everything else. And we're going to email you on the last day so that if you're not happy with Fathom, click on this button right here and cancel it. So we give them a link to cancel, I think, three times in their trial. Mm -hmm. So we're constantly communicating with them. And you'd think that would increase the chance of trial cancellations, but it's not. It's just a transparent way of saying, can we help you with anything? Did you know about this? And hey, if this isn't for you, because it's not for everyone, but if it isn't for you, please cancel. Don't pay anything. And we've taken on some of that risk rather than expecting them to pay upfront. So the first thing is that we do ask for a credit card in the beginning, just to discourage looky-loos, which I think is fair. But I think at the other side, I hate when I get an invoice from a SaaS company saying like, oh, you just paid $180 for the year. Thank you. And I'm like, really? Like I got no warning before that, which we do for every, for every yearly plan. We send out an email before saying, hey, you're going to be charged this. Do you still want to stick with us? Same with the free trial. I don't want to charge somebody automatically at the end of the trial, not tell them about it. And then just charge them money. We want to give people, that just feels like the right thing to do because <laughs> I hate. I hate, hate, hate that some people Let's don't hope do they that. forget that they've got a trial so that we can make $14 off of them. And so I've never wanted Fathom to do that, to just automatically charge them. people without warning them that, hey, a charge is coming, which is why we warn people in the trial where we have a bunch of times. If you don't want to continue this trial, that's totally fine. Just click here and you will not be charged, even though we collect the credit card in the beginning. Same with our yearly accounts. We do this with yearly as well, right? Where we send an email saying, hey, you're going to be charged for your yearly subscription because you may have forgot. And so if you want to keep using Fathom, do nothing. But if you don't want it, if you change your mind, then I don't want to charge somebody that's changed their mind. So we warn them first. It just feels dirty when other SaaS companies do that, in my opinion. So uh, addressing your thing about the yearly, I had that happen to me recently. Same. And this was before we implemented it. And you had it as well, exactly. So the timing was pretty funny. I had a random charge. I said, well, I, haven't, I don't even use this. And uh, I thought, no, it's my fault. I should have known. But then I thought, well, no, the company is tricky because you can get into this headspace of blaming the company. They should have told me it's not the company's fault. They're under no obligation, but it's still a good thing if the company does warn you. That, that's my stance. They don't have to, but it just feels like a nice non-icky <laughs> thing to yeah. do. So, okay. So the trials have helped. The trials have reduced the entry level. We still have the credit card, as you said, and that does help keep people away. We do have a few people that will come and look for a few minutes. as few and far between, but it does happen. But it means that we're not getting, I mean, we'd have hundreds. I can't even imagine how many people per day would be signing up if we didn't have the credit card in place. People would come and kick mm -hmm. the tires. And it would also add admin work because we then have to chase them. And if they've got their stats in place, we don't just want to take their stats offline. So we'd be chasing them and it just gets... It would increase our costs as well. Like our server costs would go up if we had more trials that weren't converting. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, the trials have definitely helped with regards to that on the marketing side of things. Talk to me about, uh, because you handle most of the tweets from the Use Fathom account. And so tell me about your marketing strategy for using Twitter outside of evangelists talking about us on Twitter. What do we, as in you, do <laughs> on the Twitter side of things to use Twitter as a marketing tool for Fathom? So I guess the first thing is no bullshit. And then I will... I will tweet what we're doing. I'll tweet what we're excited about and uh, people can expect. So that's the first thing. I'll, I'll put some images up. Sometimes, I mean, I tried a video one time. The video was nice. 
trying a few different things really, but ultimately people follow us because they want to hear about the product and hear about the business. And there's always something to be excited about. So I share it with people. People want to be a part of the journey. So that's the first thing I do. We then get people asking us questions and I will reply to them. I will also retweet anything that if people say they switch to Fathom, I'll often retweet that and like it because it's just you know showing people that Fathom is the choice that people are making. It's becoming an industry standard for people that want privacy-focused analytics. It's social proof, isn't it, from a technical perspective? Mm-hmm. Yeah, at a technical level, it's social proof. And I'm genuinely, I get excited when I see people say, oh, we've moved to Fathom. I'm like, heck yeah, retweet. So there's that as well. How many times an hour do you have to tweet to make effective use of Twitter? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I do 12-hour workdays on Twitter. You probably tweet maybe once a day at most for non-replies in that. It's not very often. Well, at the moment, we're going through a refinement stage. So we're modifying a few things. And I've just moved house and I was sick. So I haven't coded anything. So we've suppose actually got a few designs that are ready to be brought into the dashboard. And there has been a brief pause. But typically, our workflow is that we're regularly doing things. They don't have to be huge, but we like to talk about them. We talk about what we're thinking, talk about Firefox using Google Tag Manager sometimes. <laughs> we don't have a negative narrative. We're not that company that chooses to get angry at people or call people out and all that stuff. That's not our style. It's just that's a weak, that's coming from a weak place. We like building people up. We like talking about the future. We like talking about the positives of the future. I think it was on Build Your SaaS, I heard Justin say that. This was actually about the climate, about it all being doom and gloom. And that kind of marketing doesn't work. And I'm not that kind of person either. So for me, I like talking about the good stuff. And obviously for Firefox, I just said, you know, hopefully Firefox will stop using Google Tag Manager. It's not me being like, can you believe they're doing this? And big dramatic call out, which is just outrage porn. That's not our game. We're just transparent about what we're doing. And we're excited about things. So that's, that's what we share. Honestly, I think that works better. Like I'm even, as you're talking about that, I'm like, kind of how I approach veganism. Like, I'm not just going to be sharing Slaughterhouse videos all day on my Twitter because I, I don't think that that works. I know a lot of people that do that, but I, honestly, I don't think that works. My version of trying to convert people to veganism is to just fucking cook them good meals. Like, I don't want to talk about veganism. I don't want to call people out for not being vegan. I don't care. I don't think that works. I don't think shame works as a marketing tactic. I think what works is being positive and showing the benefits and showing the hey, going plant-based, it doesn't mean you ruin your palate on eating cardboard-tasting food, right? And I think that that's the way that we kind of approach it with Fathom is just like, this is the benefit of being more privacy-focused in how you treat visitors to your website. Yeah, yeah. If you don't use Fathom, what, that's your call. It doesn't, that's your choice to make. We're not going to shame anybody for not using Fathom. But at the same time, we're going to tell people like, hey, these are the benefits. Like, This is what's awesome. You know all those cookie notices that you hate? How about we just bake you some vegan cookies instead? Because you don't need cookie notices if you use fat. Yeah, yeah. I'm on the vegan side of things. So if you were to approach it in a confrontational way, immediately you put someone's guard up. Yeah. Um, we don't do things like that. I mean, we say, are oh, you using... Yeah, it's the equivalent of us constantly finding people using Google and tweeting them saying, hey, stop using Google. You know, you're unethical, <laughs> son of a bitch. We don't do that. No. It's like, I'm not vegan and I see some of the stuff you're cooking and I'm actually intrigued by it. So I think that you do need to lead in a positive way. And that's with anything. It's your personal ethics, right? Mm -hmm. If you believe you've got something to share about this way of living, even on the working less hours side of things, you should share it. You should share the positive side of things. And people should then be able to learn at their leisure, if you like. Because as soon as people start, and you've seen the kind, but as soon as people start shoving it down your throat, 
you immediately, your defense goes up. Yeah. And you're not going to be receptive to what that person's sharing. Yeah, when I see people lead from a place of strength and they're showing what they're doing in their life, I'm receptive. I'm curious. You know, I, I had vegan food when we met up for Pico however long ago. I mm-hmm. had a, a vegan burger and I was pretty impressed. I think this feels like something that Justin Jackson would say, where it's like marketing works if you have hungry people over and feed them <laughs> versus yelling at them. Amazing. I feel like there's some kind of Justin Jackson story because he's really good at making points about marketing and business in like a super like good and relatable way. And I feel like me calling that out is really not doing justice to the story or the way that Justin Jackson approaches teaching people. But I feel like that would be like a Justin Jackson story. Like you have to feed people that are hungry and already at your house waiting for dinner. Yeah, no, that's bang on. So A mentioned something and this comes into our marketing a bit. So people are going on this and a guy on Twitter, he was getting angry that uh, he was like transistor and fathom of, you know, choosing ethical marketing. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't think this is really an intentional marketing move. I mean, the 1% for the planet, for example, that started by me saying to you, how cool would it be? I mean, you do all your charity stuff already, but this is me coming in and saying, how cool would it be if we could plant trees? So the more people we get using fathom, the more trees we plant, because mm-hmm. that idea really appeals to me. That's how it started. And it actually started as from another, I'm not going to talk about the other projects, but uh, it started from there and then came into Fathom. And then it's a case of we get to plant more trees. Well, I've never thought of it as an intentional marketing move. It's always been just cool. It's cool. And I suppose it's marketing in the sense that you're getting people in because they get to be a part of that. Because people talk about this ethical positioning. I think the ethics come from you as a person. Someone that doesn't care about the planet is not going to be planting trees you know yeah but I also think that it's coming from a place of action instead of from a place of virtue signaling like I think us calling us Mm, ethical who gives a shit we can say whatever we want it's marketing it's just like that person on Hacker News that was like I can't believe you're using that you have over 1 million downloads in your marketing when that's obviously a lie (laughs) and like on the Docker site it says 1M plus for number of downloads he was just so certain that we were lying in our marketing and I was just like but we're not. Like He was mad at you. Can you imagine his life? He was no, no, so imagine mad. Imagine your day. He was so mad at you. Can you imagine his life? He's on his... Fuck you, Paul Jarvis. What do you mean? A million dollars. Fuck you. <laughs> Can you imagine his life to be that angry at someone he's never met on the internet? And you're just over there like, fuck? What the fuck? I kind of like that something that I help make brings out so much passion in somebody else. Like, obviously, for the wrong reason. Then the guy's a fucking moron. But like, I do kind of like that somebody is just so passionate about something that I'm part of that they're like, oh, you're so, you're definitely lying. It's like, it's public record that we have over a million downloads, dude. <laughs> yeah, that actually sounds like the old, the old Gary Vee thing about listening to your haters. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he's passionate enough to get involved is actually a compliment. Yeah, yeah it's a good way yeah, of thinking about exactly. it. Exactly. So we've been really good at segueing into other sections of what we talk about in marketing. This isn't one of those really good segues into something else. <laughs> so I want to talk about Hacker News and Product Hunt first. Then I want to talk about writing and content. Oh, so Hacker News, I don't think we've ever been number one. We've been number two so many times, though, on Hacker News and number two on Product Hunt a few times when we've launched the OS version and the Pro version. So we're really good at being, we're number two. (laughs) But we've used these platforms that do have a lot of eyeballs and do have a lot of, I guess, publicity for brands. We've used them fairly well and we've, we've done really well in the whatever the algorithm or game that they have is. 
But has that really affected our business in a measurable, instant way? We can't measure it. Yeah. So Hacker News, we've actually gone through a transition and we've now arrived on something different. Hacker News is fucking exhausting. We've been on there three times in the last year, I want to say. Like on the front um, page. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. The first time we went, I was on there. No, we were both on there, actually. We were replying to comments. It is exhausting because you're also defending yourself because a lot of people on there are mad about the open source stuff. And they've also, people like to nitpick. It might be because it's predominantly developers. And I know I was going to say, you said people, but you mean developers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm in that group and I get it. You do, you can get into this nitpicky mindset. But I take the attitude that it helps us develop our stances on things and it helps us develop our product. So I don't think it's worthless. It's exhausting though. And I think we've transitioned into this new approach where this was your idea. If we're on Hacker News and we're front page, do not keep looking at it. Let it settle, then reply to it in like an hour. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot more sense. And it means we can use it for other things because it's absolutely bloody exhausting. And I think it falls into the brand awareness bucket. We didn't see a ton of signups, even for free trials no, from Hacker News or from Product Hunt. But I don't think they're the worthless endeavors either. I think that they're really good at brand awareness. And the type of people that spend time on those platforms, there is a cross segment in the Venn diagram where the two circles are touching. There is that little middle bit where I do think there are users on those platforms that would be good customers that that would find value. I mean, there's obviously on Hacker News, there's some people that are like, (laughs) I don't know why I would spend $14 on Fathom. I could build it myself. Yes, in a couple months, spending hundreds and possibly thousands of hours, you could totally build it yourself and use it for free, bro. But I think that it does fall more into the brand awareness side of thing. Like, I think it kind of feels, especially for SaaS, dude, it feels like a rite of passage that you need I to like announce yeah. it on Product Hunt. <laughs> for good or like, I like Product Hunt. I have no problem with Product Hunt, but it does feel like it is just a rite of passage to do that. Like, I don't think a product would fail if it wasn't on the front page of Product Hunt on the day that it launched. I also don't think that it's sustainable. Like Product Hunt is a one-time marketing push. You can't be on Product Hunt every week to promote. Like if that's your marketing strategy and the end of your marketing strategy, it's not going to go your way because it's a one-time thing. Like yeah, if you have a, a huge new version, then we actually talked to Product Hunt first as well. It's like, can we launch V2 again? Like we have, it is a sizable difference. We've redesigned every aspect of the product. Does this make sense for adding it again because I've had times where I've added onto Product Hunt and they've said, well, you've already launched this product. So it isn't always a sure thing, right? Yeah, no, that's true. And Product Hunt and Hack and Use are very different. Product Hunt is real people, real faces. Hack and Use, someone actually registered just to give us shit. Uh, So it's Mm -hmm. a very mixed crowd on Hack and Use, but some very smart people there who want to give feedback and you just got to roll with the punches sometimes. We had the most recent post. So we, I think, did my Vapor one? I think my Vapor one did well on there. Yeah. So my Vapor one went You know viral. it did well on there. <laughs> that wasn't, that, <laughs> no, that wasn't legit. It wasn't. So Vapor one did well on there. And then Paul just randomly put together this post in an afternoon. And it was, it was honestly, I mean, it was like a throwaway, right? You didn't spend long on it. Mm-hmm. You just wrote your feelings. We posted it on Hacker News and, and we just didn't even watch it. All of a sudden, we're getting tons and tons of traffic. Turns out Paul's article has gone viral and is on the front page. And the funny thing about Paul's article, it great article, good points. Like it was definitely a big fan. Of like, and people 100%. replied to it. Like, he said, this is just an advert. Yeah, somebody said, this is just an ad for Fathom. And I was like, you're damn right, it's just an ad for Fathom. I can't believe it's on number one on Hacker News either, or number two on Hacker News either. 
So not that it is a competition, but the black hole your site to Google all time had 9,300 uniques and the move to vapor article had oh, 72. Wow, I'm hundred percent that petty. <laughs> you had 7,200 uniques and I had 9,300 uniques. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he is a good set. I'm, I'm obsessed with segue right now. Let's talk about content and writing and content marketing. Because I think, and challenge me on this if you think it's not accurate, but I think that our writing has probably been the biggest mover of the needle for Fathom thus far. Yeah. Okay. So, you, yeah, you have a lot of experience of writing. I think, did you write a book? I think you wrote a book. I think so. Yeah, or two. And you've written before, you published a newsletter. This isn't a new game to you. You've got lots of experience. I have never really written. Anything that I've written has not been published. So I started writing and then you would proof it and edit it for me and add whatever you wanted to add. And that gave me this mm -hmm. confidence of, oh, okay, what I'm writing is actually is good and can be put out there. And that really helps because we then have two perspectives in a business coming at the content marketing versus just you posting about your perspective. So it brought me into writing as well. And I have different ideas from you and, and vice versa. So we effectively doubled our, our content marketing capacity and we started writing articles together. Now, the big win that we've really had here is that we're not saying these are the 14 things to do to grow your business. We're talking about our personal experience. And I like articles like Adam Watham did an article at his course launch. He didn't say you should do this, this and this. He wrote a story. He wrote his story. He also didn't say just buy my course yeah. through the exactly. whole article. <laughs> exactly. And it's <laughs> a genuine story. And I think that that's much more fun to read. So really, I write what I would like to read. I write it as if I'm just communicating my story. And that's my process. You've probably got a much different... What's your process? Well, be honest. Do you think that content marketing and writing would be the biggest driver of revenue for us in the beginning? Because I know I pushed this hard and you were like, let's try ads, let's try this. Did you honestly think that content and writing would be that big of a deal or the deal that it is now? No, well... I know that content marketing is a good way to get on people and get in people's heads and be um, people are aware of it. I didn't think I had anything to contribute towards the content marketing. That was my flaw in thinking. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, Paul's going to do all the content. Paul's written however many articles. He'll just handle it. But the lesson that I've learned is that the stories can be told from both of us or even as individuals. And it adds different tones to the stories. So it isn't just, oh, this is Jack's article. This is his tone throughout all of the articles. You actually have two different tones and things like that. But did I think that the content marketing would be responsible for as much growth as it has? Hard to tell. I know the value of content okay. marketing, but I didn't expect okay. the response that we get. It's bloody crazy. Yeah. Most of our articles that, and it isn't even like we're not writing our articles to be viral or popular, but they, not all of them, obviously, but quite a few of them have gained more popularity than either of us thought. Like, that's not the reason. Like, we don't, it's just like SEO. Like, I'm sure our articles help with SEO, but like, we don't write articles because it has X number of keywords and X number of headings and X number of that. That's just a byproduct, I guess, if SEO is SEO a marketing effort. Like, are we get, we actually, no, let me look. As far as referrers go, I'm looking all time for Fathom Analytics. Our top referrer is Twitter. <laughs> doesn't surprise me. This, although I will be clear, refer doesn't mean converting to customer. This is just people going from one place and clicking a link somewhere to go to our website. We're not talking about conversions here. So Twitter is a top referrer. 
Google is the second highest refer, which I think is funny yeah. <laughs> because we're so anti-Google. Hacker News is number two. GitHub's number three. My site is number four. Product Hunt is number five. DuckDuckGo is number six, which I actually think is pretty cool because that means DuckDuckGo is gaining in popularity, which is pretty awesome because I like that they are a privacy-focused company. Right. So Twitter's the number one. Twitter's the number one. We get more clicks from Twitter than we do from Google by a not insignificant amount. Doesn't surprise me at all. Twitter's where all the conversations happening. People are wanting to learn about these things. People are looking to get the alternatives suggested to them. And people link to us a lot. And I've seen some, but I don't see everything. We're very active on Twitter. You tweet a lot. I tweet a lot. So it does make sense. Your content marketing, the SEO we have put effort into. As you were talking about your website, I was thinking of the segue into the audience because the audience is a huge piece. Yeah. This is an episode of segues, except for the one that I totally dropped the ball on in the middle where there wasn't really a segue. But yeah, I was thinking this is a good segue into, I guess, me, Al Jarvis, as a marketing tactic. Yes. We ask as well when people sign up for an account. I think it's step two. We ask, how did you hear about us, right? Yes, that is right. What's the source or whatever it is? <laughs> and my, my name might be the top in that. Not to toot my own horn, but... You do get a few. Okay, <laughs> so this is an important point. Having an, an existing audience that knows you and trusts you does help a huge amount. People know that Paul doesn't put out shit products. So that helps a lot. They trust him. So it's easier to sell to people that trust you and it's safe to say that people that read your newsletter, they have some similar ideas and ideals to you. Mm-hmm. So I think that that does help. So when you talk about privacy, people are interested and they're receptive to that because they like that kind of thing. So having an existing audience definitely helps. But it has not been the, I mean, it has obviously had tons. But when you weren't sending out your emails or tweeting, we still had signups that weren't Paul Jarvis related. Yes. And then we still did get Paul Jarvis related signups. So the audience Even is just when I'm gone, channel. I'm not gone from their minds. <laughs> yeah, well, no, exactly. Yeah, no kidding. So that is definitely another channel. Not everyone's got that channel. It's taken, Paul, how long have you been building your, your mailing list? Only a couple decades. Well, my mailing list, eight years, but my brand, a couple decades. So, and the key thing here is this isn't just, let's quickly build an audience with adverts. This has been Paul, and I've been on Paul's mailing list before I even met him, but uh, he's been putting out quality content for free for a long time. And uh, there are some real gems in there. So. It makes sense that you have a huge mailing list because content's pretty good. I also think that building a brand doesn't really have a downside. Like I could release Fathom and then I could release another product and that product could do just as well. Like because I communicate with a group of people who are paying attention every single week, whatever I work on is going to get a bit more attention than if you have zero audience. and It would just be very hard, I think. It would be a lot more work. Yeah, I mean, other than Product Hunt, which again is ephemeral, as we kind of talked about, where it's just like a one-time thing. And you don't know how their algorithm works to push people higher up than other people. But even even the fact that we can launch on Product Hunt, and then I can send an email to like 35,000 people and say, I will not say, please upvote us because that is illegal or anything like that. But I will illegal. say, hey, check us out. on. Well, we, you get hunted <laughs> from Product Hunt on that day. But I can say, and it's perfectly legal, check us out on Product Hunt. If my mailing list has a 50% open rate, then that's however many people, math number of people checking it out and possibly upvoting it if they want or leaving a comment. And then that pushes it higher up than it would if I just put it on Product Hunt and hope that other people would see it. Yeah, no, that makes good sense. Yeah. The audience does help with getting some numbers, review it and things like that and having the trust. 
mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. What else do we do? I'm just looking at Brian's initial tweet. We don't do landing page redesigns because that obviously doesn't apply to... We could do landing pages. No, so we have redesigned our website. Yes. I was thinking landing page redesigns, like, oh, we look at Facebook and redesign it. That's not what he means. That's not... That's all. I misunderstood and now I do understand. We have redesigned our website. We've redesigned it non-publicly several times. <laughs> the public has seen two or three versions of it. But we have silly cats we do. Yes, silly on our cats. website. Those convert really well. As far as I know, I have no statistical data to back this up, but those silly cats with scarves and mittens 100% are responsible for a high number of conversions. No one mentions the cats. How many people have mentioned the cats? <laughs> that you thought people would so yeah. much that nobody talks about it, and I'm so happy about them. I think what does help, though, is we have on the homepage alone two, four, six, eight testimonials from customers. Half of these people are names that others have probably heard of. A lot of people have heard of Justin Jackson. A lot of people know Statamic and Jack McDade. Miguel and Sight Sauce. People, at least in the Laravel community, have heard of like Jack and Miguel, I'm sure. Yes. Because they both have audience. Non, not insignificant amounts of audience and people paying attention to them. Oscar, like most developers know J.S. Fiddle, yeah. right? <laughs> That's a really good point about you brought up the Laravel community. Yeah. Being part of a community definitely helps. Obviously, I can't say some of the people that use us because it's not been publicly disclosed, but we have some big names from the Laravel community who are giving us a try. They're supporting other people in the Laravel space, which is what we do. I mean, we've bought, we've bought things from Taylor before, Spark. And- Don't we buy all of Taylor's things? <laughs> yeah, we well, let's just be honest. So, so yeah, <laughs> supporting the community and being supported by the community has been really helpful. And it's really nice and we see some big names. Yeah, I mean, we're part of something, right? We're part of something bigger than ourselves that people talk about. Which feels pretty great. Yeah. Obviously, there's the word of mouth people tell their friends. So the more people that know about you through various means, the more likely you'll get recommended because you're the top of their mind. I really think, though, just staying active. And I've made this joke before, but one of the things about Justin Jackson is that he doesn't shut up. And I mean that in a Mm -hmm. good way. So Justin, I always see his tweets and he's always, he's a, I don't want to be cliche and say thought leader, but he's always starting conversations. That's essential for marketing, to be the person that's directing it all. He doesn't talk when he has something to sell, he talks when he has something to say. And I think that's why so many people like the things that he says, because he's not talking to sell somebody. He's talking, like you said, he's talking to start conversations. He's talking to make people think. He's talking to teach. I use him as an example because I follow him on Twitter and I always see his stuff. But he's constantly yeah, putting out this value for free, starting the conversations. And the funny thing about him is I think he just has thousands of ideas come to his head and he just shares them. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I don't think it's intentional, but he starts these huge conversations on Twitter. And that's a form of marketing. No, I mean, when you say marketing, it does seem to ruin the fun sometimes because, oh, it's just marketing. but it's. Being authentic is, yeah. the whole world isn't just about marketing. You can be authentic and that leads to indirect marketing, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Not everything in life you do is marketing. Just being authentic is a, is a I don't want to call it a marketing tactic, but <laughs> it is though. Being authentic, people gravitate to you. Well, yeah, I think just sharing, not because you have something to sell, but because, I'm just going to come back to it because I think that was a bombshell and you totally didn't mention how how awesome that comment was when I said that he talks when he has something to say, not when he has something to sell. I think that's what marketing is, is when you talk when you have something to say, not just when you... Like if I just emailed my audience when I had something to sell, I wouldn't have an audience. Why would anybody want to be on my mailing list if all I did was try to sell them stuff? I do sell them stuff for sure, but I also talk to them 
the majority of the time. And then sometimes I sell to them. Yeah. Marketing isn't everything, I suppose. Yeah. I don't like thinking of the world in that way, though. I don't think everything's marketing. I think sometimes I'm no. just sharing because it's fun to share. I like having conversations. Yeah. Like I tweeted that capitalists are psychopaths and that that's not really marketing. It's something interesting. It's something interesting that popped into my head. Being on and because it's Twitter, I don't even need to explain myself. I just need to drop it there and leave it. Throw the grenade. <laughs> Is marketing just being the first thing on people's minds? Which can be, you can do anything. You could do anything, really. Yeah. I think we dropped enough grenades on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Paul Jarvis, and this is Above Board. Cue the outro music.